0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review gimmick by Bark Market.
1: You know, a lot of ways, it's kind of ahead of its time. And, you know, as many times as I've
0: listened to the record, I still can't probably scream along with a section.
2: I think you have to be in the mood for it. You're not going to throw this on Sunday morning. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi. Joining me once again... Jason Eak. Jay
1: mm-hmm.
2: got a special guest again. We do? We do. Joining us from across the city of Columbus on the iChat once again Neil Schmidt. Neil, say hello. This is where I
0: glide in on my shoes and go hello.
2: Yes, if we were doing Laugh In <laugh-in> circa nineteen sixty seven, that's how you would that's how you would appear
0: by radio entrance.
2: I don't need to give uh Neils bona fides, we've already done that. Neil is a um, master of the mixing board. A uh, professor melty the... I'm trying to think of different alliterations that I could come up with, but I'm stop right there. Let's just get into this. Let's 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 get into this album because this was a long suggested or long waiting suggestion. From one Mr. Sean Michael Foster uh, via Facebook, he suggested this months ago. He said, "You got to review Bark Market," and we aim to please the um, few listeners out there that take the time to actually, you know, give us suggestions. So we're finally getting down to it, and we're going to review Bark Market. Guys, were you familiar with Bark Market before taking on this quest?
1: Uh, I was not, and I will say that. Uh the bar has been set pretty high for uh, listener suggestions. so It's true. feel bad for you, Sean.
2: <laughs> Neil, how about you?
0: Vaguely familiar. Uh, and I remember, what I remember is not, uh, I remember two things. One, not really liking the band at the, at the time it was introduced to me. And two, uh, one of the album covers with the, not the one we're reviewing tonight, but the one with the, the pulled back teeth. Kind of a gross, Really shocking album cover And those are my two That's what I remember And so it was nice to revisit this record And be surprised Well uh-oh.
1: Wait, uh-oh. That's, he's,
2: he's te- he's, Uh oh Wait uh oh Spoiler us off. Spoiler That's, called a, that's Spoiler. called a tease For our, our oh, segment okay. coming up But first we're going to get into our patented You know what History of the band
1: History of the band
2: Bark Market was formed in New York City, another New York City band, Jay, in oh, 1987. Man. I know. What's with this? You should have been able to smell that a mile away, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I could. They but were definitely from a just, coast. I definitely. We've just done a lot of New York City bands.
2: Yeah. It's almost as if they have a lot of people there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and musicians. It's strange. Yeah. Uh, and, and labels. And
2: labels and club. places to play. And, yeah. So Bark Market formed with uh, the, the lineup, I guess, for the entire time was singer-guitarist and songwriter Dave Sardi, bass guitarist John Nolan, and drummer Rock Savage. I do not wow. know his real name, but if that's his real name, that's pretty awesome.
1: Is he related to Viv Savage?
2: I think they're People distant. a player of Spinal Tap? Yeah, there might be distant cousins.
1: Or Rick Savage, bass player from Def Leopard.
2: What is Bibb Savage's quote from the end of Spinal Tap? Have a good time. All the time. All the time. That's his life. That's his creed. His life motto. Good advice. Yeah. So in 1986, which that doesn't make sense. They said it formed in 87, but then the notes say it started in 86. Let's, let's, let's just ignore that. They released an independently recorded demo simply called Bark Market. And then in 1987, they recorded and released 1 Godhouse on four track cassette. They were signed to Purge Sound League uh, label in New York City and recorded their second album, Easy Listening, in 1989. That was when the band moved to Triple X Records and the band recorded Vegas Throat. Is that a label we should know? No. Okay. These are all really small, like, hardcore punk indie labels in New York City that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, They released Vegas Throat in 1992, which featured um, contributions from avant-garde guitarist Mark Rabot, who I have no information on. This is avant-garde jazz guitar. In 93, they released the album that we are reviewing, gimmick that was an interesting um and neil you'll especially be interested in this there's an interesting progression that the band made which dave sardi the singer and songwriter said was purposeful they recorded their first album on four track they recorded their second album on eight track they recorded their third album on 16 track and then gimmick is recorded on 24 track and then their final album which is called visible cow came out, they, they said they were going to go back to 4-Track, and that's what they did. Actually, it's called um, El Ron, I'm sorry, not Physical Cow. Uh, El Ron came out in 1996, and that was all recorded on 4-Track. So they sort of made a conscious effort to expand their recording horizons each time, and then bring it back, when they knew the band was basically done, to bring it back to the original format. Some notes. Vegas Throat attracted the interest of Rick Rubin, and Bark Market was one of the first groups signed to American Recordings, which uh, re-released Vegas Throat and then issued Gimmick and an EP after that. They also then released, around this time, the Peacekeeper EP on the label Man's Ruin. Since the band broke up in 97, Dave Sardi has become an in-demand producer and mixer for bands such as System of a Down, Marilyn Manson, Wolf Mother, Helmet, and Quicksand. And he's even worked on uh, bands, uh, larger bands, such as Oasis and The Thrills. Um, and he's also done some film composing work for the movies 21 and Zombieland. And that got him a feature in Composers Monthly. So, that's how... Hey, that's that's did the band stuff. Jet. He did it? Oh, Okay. Yeah, I can see that. The Be My Girl is Dave Stardy. I'm pretty sure. In fact, I will double-check that. Please do. We don't want any factual errors on the podcast. <laughs> gonna,
1: we'll get arrested.
2: Yes. I hate <laughs> I hate making a... Yeah,
0: Dave Stardy producer, are you going to be my girl?
2: There you go. That so, was a huge... That was a huge... I'm sure that he has probably made more money as a producer and mixer than he did oh, in a okay. thing. Yeah. I think that's pretty easy to determine so that's it for Bark Market, the history of this New York City band. Um, like you guys, I was really not familiar with this band at all. So I'm, I'm glad that Sean brought this to us because I think it's an interesting uh, band in terms of the other New York bands that we've reviewed, such as Quicksand and Helmet. Mm-hmm. And sort of fits into that sort of area, but then they also do some different things. So... Jay, let's start with you. Uh, What were your brief first impressions of uh, Bark Market?
1: Refresh my memory. If I'm going to get back in my time machine, Mm -hmm. go back to when this album was made, what year am I going to?
2: So this came out in 93, so it was probably recorded in 92.
1: Okay. It's pretty interesting. I I think, uh, you know, a lot of ways it's kind of ahead of its time in terms of taking hardcore and combining it with some – I guess some, some musical structures and sounds that aren't necessarily always hardcore, but vocally it's, I think, pretty close to that. Um, I, I heard a lot of Nine Inch Nails in this band. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was on purpose or just the way he sings or or what, but um, and I even heard a lot of later day, like more recent Nine Inch Nails kind of stuff. Right. Um, obviously not musically, but just vocally there are some, some musical parts that could be, like, Nine Inch Nails, but um, obviously minus any keyboards. I guess Nine Inch yeah, Nails that's was, what, that's was a That's the big thing.
0: There's no keyboards, really.
1: Right. But, like, there's just some of the dynamics and some of the way he sings and the intensity at times on the melodies. I kept thinking of, uh, of Nine Inch Nails throughout this. It gets a little grating after a while. I mean, his voice, the intensity of his voice... By the time you get maybe three-quarters al- way, way through the album, it becomes, you know, it, I'm sort of full. I'm all full of, uh, of Bark Market, but I think it starts really strong. I think the first uh, three songs are really, really cool. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those albums where the more you listen to it, the more stuff you pick up on and the more stuff you hear, um, the more structure you hear. You know, my, so my first impression was I heard some some um, hooky little elements in the songs, but I had a really hard time discerning, like, structure. Like, are we in a chorus, or, you know, wh- you know what's going on? or Is this another verse? Is this a... I couldn't quite make it out. I think the more you listen to it, you can start picking up on it more and more. It's produced really, really interesting. It's, like, kind of distant in a, in a weird way, which you would think with the intensity they're bringing to the album, that everything would be in your face, especially the guitars, but they're kind of not. His vocal is definitely in your face, but, like, the guitars, it's kind of even hard to pick up, like, pick up on guitar tone for me, because it seems like the guitars are so far back in the mix, I guess. And even the drums are kind of like that. Like, it's... They're kind of affected in a weird way, so it's kind of... It's an interesting mix. I mean, for being 93-ish, it's kind of... Not typical for what I would think of it, of that time frame for how to produce a record.
2: Neil, did you pick um, up on that? What he's saying with regards to the to the mix? Uh I not not distant.
0: Um you know, not I think dis- it's it falls in that same Steve Albini sort of roomy sound. The drums are definitely um you know, have some ambience and that the, I mean this is this is a album of might uh, mighty mighty tones, that's for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I don't disagree with you, Jay, about it. And and I was wondering if that was just me, a product of age, or uh, or this sort of like single mentality of listening to so many songs in a row. Like I think all these records that you guys review, I think I'd feel that way about eight or nine songs in. And so sometimes yeah. I have to listen to the album backwards to make sure that I'm giving the the back end a, a feel, you know. And I know I'm playing with order and stuff, but
2: it's not you a know, bad idea. I,
0: no, and and to do that because I think the shill is probably one of my favorite. The, actually, the last two songs are probably two of my favorite songs on there. I don't disagree that I, that you're, I've had my fill of Bark Market. It's hard for me to sustain that sort of uh, angst for that long. Um, it's definitely, uh, the, you know, the guitar tones are so, like, angular and bitey, and they're like dueling swords, you know, and that bass tone is amazing. So
2: Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Uh, on track two, Whipping Boy, the, the bass tone is just, it's, like, perfect. I mean it's it's both heavy and gets this like nice trebly like mid-range to it and it's just like got everything you would want in like a really cool hardcore hard rock metal bass tone. And you they bring that out every once in a while where that like the guitar will drop down and it'll just be like the bass and the drums playing together. You do that throughout a couple of the songs.
1: Brought up the shill Neil I think uh, um, I agree I think it, it's sort of the album starts strong then it gets a little weak and then there's a couple gems at the end and that song that song in particular I think is a good example of kind of everything they do well coming together into one song um, so it kind of has the most melody I guess vocally of any a song um, there's even some and that's a
0: l- that- loose word there's not a lot of melody going on but but yeah it's, it's, it, which is it. which is tough, and so you know, again, to jump on what you said, Jay, about like part what parts of the songs we are. I mean that there, that's all kind of thrown out the window. You know, um, there are repeating parts, but it's like you know, it's the hook, chorus, verses, bridges. You know, like all kind of, and, and so in some ways it's ha- hard to hang your hat on something, and that makes it some some ways tough to kind of like because if there was a part that I could. And, I, you know, as many times as I've listened to the record, I still can't probably scream along with a section like the way I can with, like, you know, a Fugazi song like Waiting Room, which is probably a little before this, but sort of in that... And Drive Like Jehu and Jesus Lizard and those kind of bands. Like, they still have songs where I can scream the chorus and I get super excited about that part. And, like, they went out of their way to make sure that he's screaming, but you're not really supposed to scream along.
2: Right. I think the... There's... The, the, well... I think the thing that he's doing in lieu of having a a really strong hook or melody, he's bringing a lot of personality to to the way he's singing. For sure. And I think when you aren't the best songwriter in terms of the hooks and the memorable chorus, that can sort of take the place in a lot of instances, is when you have a guy who's delivering these, like, you know, either really sardonic like kind of crazy lines he's playing around with a lot of words and and rhyme schemes and stuff like that that aren't there's a little bit more like humor and something that you wouldn't find in like a lot of other hardcore bands whereas it's not like it's all depressing and angsty there's a lot of um there's a lot more thought going into the lyrics maybe more thought needed to go into the melodies but there's a lot more thoughts going into the lyrics than a lot of other similar bands from this sort of genre, which I liked. It, it made it a little more tolerable when they did get repetitive.
0: Without being as personal as the Nine Inch Nails stuff, though, the ni- you know, and I and I, it's funny you say that because I don't really, I didn't hear I didn't notice that, but I could kind of see that sort of similarity, especially the the vocals being kind of dry and and really compressed, um, mm-hmm. and very similar delivery, but. Whereas the, the Nine Inch Nails stuff, he'll draw you in. Um, I think a lot of the lyrics in this record were you. Um, and if he was saying me, it was sort of pardon my bad taste, I think is one of the lines. But a lot of it was, was pointed at someone else, which would be the listener. So sometimes you're, you're supposed to be off, but you're not supposed to be invited in. Right. Um,
1: yeah, he definitely does not draw you in. <laughs> he keeps you at arm's, <laughs> arm's length the entire album.
2: And just slaps you. Just yeah. <laughs> repeatedly, <laughs> I, I had a. You guys mentioned, you know, Nine Inch Nails, and and Neil, you just mentioned a little bit ago, Jesus Lizard, and Fugazi. I heard a lot of bands when trying to pinpoint like who these guys sounded like. I heard, like you mentioned, Jesus Lizard, Fugazi, Nine Inch Nails. There's a little bit of those elements. I heard a little bit of Jawbox. I heard a little bit of Deftones. Um, even bands like Therapy. And um, big black even uh, there's just there's tiny elements and I'm not saying any of these bands that they were influenced by them or that these bands influenced this band this you know bark market but if you are like if you're a, someone who is really into Jesus lizard and you have these are all good market jawbox is a good one yeah yeah and, and jawbox there's like there's there's some like angular guitar stuff going on here in certain elements of the uh, percussion and which we need to get to that, because the drummer's like a machine. And that's not just because they sound industrial at times. I mean, he's like, and maybe that's part of the reason is because of the way they recorded it, because it's so, I don't know, it seems like it's it's almost like loops at times, but I know it's a real drummer playing. Um, I'm not sure if there's some sort of effect that they're using. I know they're using distortion on some of the drums. Um, but other than that, Yeah, I think stuff,
0: particularly on the snare drum, they're pretty common technique we uh, we were always fans of the rat pedal uh with the, the snare drum sent to the rat pedal and then brought back up on a fader and combined with the with the other drums and that's the that's very reminiscent of what is going on here
2: and the rat pedal does it produces what sort of sound it's a
0: distortion pedal made for guitar okay uh
2: but we would hook it up and i even think i i, I it, it probably all
0: comes back to bark market honestly because uh from for columbus um you know there are a couple of bands in Columbus that were hugely influenced by Bark Market, and they recorded that workbook. So um, it probably all came back around to that anyway.
2: You want to name drop those bands? <laughs>
0: well, uh, the Evil Queens in particular yeah. were huge fans of Bark Market. So, and I, you know, a couple listens and it was like, oh, um, is it? Uh, I think it's even right from Easy Chair. You can hear that distorted drum. You know, that's how the records start. Whereas all the drums are distorted, I think it's really heavily, and then there's some, you know, there's some crosstalk and some other things that are sucked into that snare drum sound that are distorted. But you know, and then you got this big fat distorted bass. I mean, right from Easy Chair, like if, and I think as as a as a uh, when this record came out, let's see, I was probably into let's see '93, so Nirvana and stuff was really happening. But but part of me was also still like way into like the Britpop stuff that was going on. So. You know, it was probably a little too much for me. I'm not, I wasn't that angry at that age.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I think that's, uh, it, and that's, I think that's a big part of it.
1: Well, that's definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I would not have been into it then, but I actually, like I can appreciate it a lot more now because it reminds me of some bands I like now, like Gallows and The Bronx, and like sort of, I guess, modern hardcore mixed with, you know, sort of pop hard alt rock bands
2: you were saying about the anger
0: <laughs>
2: you want up Jay was we
0: were both saying how we enjoy awesome. the record but we are not that angry so what you can come come to it and not have to feel like you want to tear things apart but it's a good you know i've, I've listened to this record while i was you know on the bike pushing up some pretty heavy hills and was like i'm in the wrong song i need bark market. <laughs> i can
2: i can use it as fuel this would be a good workout album definitely
0: some of it. You guys, yeah, that radio you guys, that radio static song can go away, that's for
2: sure. Yeah, I
1: you was know gonna what's funny mention is that that. Uh, that sounds like um, uh, if Johnny Cash was a robot. <laughs> <laughs> like the way the, the the way the computer voice is delivered, I'm like, in a weird way this could be like kind of like a Johnny Cash song. While we call you just how much looks to make on his face and the grass won't
3: tell. How we made this doubt From his wet hiding In a moment of pure Self-held Black and tan as every good boy should As the proof of your metal Runs straight through that exit wound That you left on this very land I can't stand All your wires embracing me Dick whisper of a glittering tree my truckload
2: Hey, well, you know, Rick Rubin signed these guys, and then Rick Rubin did all those Johnny Cash albums.
0: That's an interesting signing. I mean, Rick Rubin, you know, I mean, he always, I mean, he's got a, definitely an eye towards things commercial. And listening to this record, and, and Gimmick is the one with the, the crazy teeth cover, if you want to Google that. that's a. I mean, uh, not Gimmick, what was the other record that they did? We were talking about Vegas Throat. Yeah. Uh, that's got a horrific album cover. Um, I can't imagine listening to this record and being and thinking, this is going to sell like crazy. <laughs> There's just no way. But, you know, in some ways, some of these bands did well. Drive Like Jay, who never was able to break through, but those guys then went on to other projects that were a lot pretty commercial. Jawbox had a much more melodic tinge to what was going on and was able to um, sort of have some minor hit, you know, with uh, I think Savory and their cover of uh, the Tori Amos on Flake Girl you know, got them some notoriety and that was sort of the melodic stuff. That this, These guys were never gonna give you a hook like the Jawbox was going to and in Nine Inch Nails they were able to deliver this sort of attitude but then also were able to dial it back other times and sort of you know, come in with the real like singing with the teeth closed and like whispering in the ears kind of creepy and then unleashed this kind of fury, and of course, but with them a lot of cook, where these guys were just, you know, constantly it sounds like sharpening knives, like two knives, like you know that
3: shink 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 shink.
0: There's a lot of that sound when I when I hear this record, and that was never going to sell. So it's interesting that Rick Rubin, you know, I, I think he could see the influence of what was going to happen, but I can't imagine that he was really thinking this
1: is going to sell. Well, around
2: this good. time, hadn't he just done like Blood Sugar Sex Magic? Wasn't this, this like? The early nineties. That was
1: after. It was a little after this.
2: Oh, I mean, that was, was when I was in high school. Was it? But yeah.
0: again, a record full of
1: hooks. You know. He also. I'm just wondering. He also. Did, he also did Slayer.
2: Right. I'm just wondering if he thought that he was like, <laughs> I that. can do anything I want right now, and I really like this band. So, you know, and a personality might play a lot into it. If he met Dave Sardi at a show, it's like, I think this guy is absolutely, you know, awesome on stage, and he's like fun to work with. That might have made as much of an impact on him as as the music. Yeah,
0: and and as a as a tastemaker, you know, Dave Sardi, this record, you know, and something you you know, some of the records that you guys continue to review. It's I, I wonder if this record influenced lots of other people, and I know it came up with the Red Cross record and some other things. And and you know, I I mean, I personally know bands that were influenced by this record, and I, I wonder how much of a it, it was a little later than I thought it would be. Um, but blood, Su- blood excuse me, blood Sugar, Sex Magic is 91. So, yeah. but Dave Sarty then was able to take sort of, okay, maybe not the songwriter that's going to, um, you know, topple the world with his delivering his lyrics, but take a band like it, it, with Jet, Are You Gonna Be My Girl? I mean, that, that record is really raw in a really fun way. You know, you can hear the, the guitar hiss, you know, and the breakdowns and to the noise and the, the, the lip smacking on the vocals. I mean, it was, you know, harken back to that sort of A C D C which is, you know, in, in sort of an updated way. And, and, you know, like that attitude of being able to bring that, that seems like a really nice fit. Um, I don't think it worked on the second record. I don't think they had any hits um, with that second record. But the first record, I mean, that Are You Gonna Be My Girl, that got played everywhere. You know, and I love that song. I love the way that that was produced.
1: Uh, well all the ways that you describe that those are all things that come across on this record i mean the it's it's performance oriented so like you can hear the singer performing you can hear the guitars like you could tell like every time they play those guitar parts they weren't the same way like each time they were a little bit different i mean it's all it's got a, like kind of a looseness to it and a it sounds like individual performances you know kind of captured it doesn't sound like you know, everything's exactly on and exactly the same time every take they did. And, like, there's some parts where he gets right up on the mic and you can hear every breath and every lip smack and every, like, it's kind of part of, the, it becomes part of the song, which is uh obviously something that he took forward as a producer, right? But he didn't produce this album, oh, correct?
2: Uh, no. He didn't? Well, let me double check. I'd be surprised if he left someone else at the controls. Yeah, Ruben didn't work on this. It would have been a Sardi that actually did due to the producing. Uh, yeah. Ruben got him signed, so they were they were signed to American at this time. But Ruben wasn't involved in that. I mean, I'm sure he stopped by and said, that sounds good.
1: About it. Yeah, that's... He also produces that way. <laughs> yeah, I've he, heard he's that. He's done some stuff where he's in the room and he does some other things where he's just Yeah, just... Mail me something, and I'll let you know if it's any good or not. <laughs> yeah. So, so we've kind of covered
2: a little bit about perhaps. I mean, this is '93. I'm gonna get into why this band wasn't bigger. But even though the "quote unquote" alternative explosion had happened, this band was still not what you would consider to be a part of that. Um, they're still a little too hard and raw and noisy, I think. You know, if you think about what was on the radio, you're talking about Alice in Chains and and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and those bands, Soundgarden. And none of those bands are as abrasive as this band. At least not in their in that form. You know, Soundgarden you could make the case was, but that was in eighty seven and eighty eight when they were making, you know, the really early stuff. So even the even the alternative bands that had broken through at this point were much more radio friendly.
1: Well, I feel like musically like it's not far off from a lot of those bands. You know, like I said, I don't know, my impression of the music wasn't necessarily it was harsh. It was really his vocal delivery which is it's not. It's unlike any of those bands and both from a intensity standpoint but even like he has sort of a low of consciousness kind of vocal delivery where you know, just a lot of words and just kind of you know, just very fluid and that was very nobody was doing that then you know that wasn't fans didn't really start doing anything like that until later in the 90s um and now it's, it's a little bit more popular but it was yeah i mean musically though i i, I don't think it's too i mean there's some p- parts in some songs here i sort of wrote down that it, it reminded me a little bit of alice in chains but um just vocally it's completely different and yep. from a songwriting standpoint <laughs>
2: yeah I didn't get the Allison change things but that's okay I heard a lot of deft tones I don't know why that was the, that was the when I when that hit me I was like oh there's a lot of like deft tones sounding and stuff um, in his vocal delivery especially but maybe that's just me the one thing I did want to mention was the two instrumental tracks which are well not, so, so Totally instrumental, but tracks five, and we brought up Radio Static, track nine. I kind of feel like if those weren't on the record, or if maybe one of them was just like an unlisted bonus track, this having only ten songs might be a little more palatable. Oh, yeah. I think
0: think almost every record out there could be edited, certainly, so those those two could, uh, you know, and again, I don't know if that's a product of our time, or I'm just tired of you know, after eight or nine songs, it really just the break. You know, and maybe that's what Radio Stack was supposed to be—a little bit of a break from the onslaught.
2: It's still pretty onslaughty. It's still yeah. got like noise and. Uh, but. Or. Dy- but like it would have been t- nice.
1: If they were gonna do something different as a sort of an album track kind of thing. It would have been nice if maybe on those songs they kind of brought the intensity down a notch, just to kind of let you take a breath. Um. Which. I guess you know maybe they're slower, but they're still too noisy and strange. They just seem filler, so yeah. you, you could definitely cut those out and it, it wouldn't be missing anything. Yeah, um, track seven, Curio, is the one that I had the Alison Chain's note on. So. Oh, I know, I
2: see what you're saying because it starts out kind of slow. Yeah, yeah, the intro does. Gotcha. Okay, well, here's there's my...
1: also some. With some bluesy elements on here? We nobody mentioned that, but almost like I'm I'm saying like Robert Johnson kind of blues. Yeah, like, I picked it up. That one's like... got like that that kick or it's like a stomp. It's, not, it's almost like a kick drum but it sounds more like somebody's like stomping on the floor.
2: Are you talking about track three? Static? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a dirge. your hands won't As it burns out
3: you manifest on these windfall days, some old crank on your water they say It tills his crop on your pay dirt and won't play him. It begs the moon for the next sun to return while we calculate just how much book to make on this face. From his great height In a moment of pure self-help Black and tan is African-
2: That is interesting there's, well because he kind of uses banjo in a couple places
1: yeah yeah i heard that too i wasn't quite sure if that was what i was hearing or not but i wrote it down and i couldn't quite make out if if it was banjo or just some weird guitar tuning or what the hell was going on but there's definitely some like old like blues like real authentic dirty blues influence on this which is really strange that's kind of like when those moments happen that's when it gets really interesting to me and, um makes me take notice more so than when they get super loud and super rocking which to me just starts to sound like you know what i would expect i guess
2: so my suggestion would be take the two instrumental tracks and delete them and then just listen to the rest of this record uh and i and that is my recommendation cuz i think it's a good record i think it has it's i think you have to be in the mood for it you're not going to throw this on sunday morning uh, when you wanna, <laughs> you know, when you roll out of bed,
0: yeah, you no. Know.
1: It's good to have uh, in, in the random rotation, maybe on a. you ready for some road rage. Yeah. Turn up, yeah. hack
0: it off, and and go driving.
1: <laughs> hey man, when I'm sucking stuck in traffic and that comes on, I crank it.
0: Yeah, I think I I think you know someone you know you can play the first twenty five or thirty seconds of the hack it off first. You know, the beginning of the Easy Chair, and, you know, that would be a pretty good indication. Do you like this? If you checked yes, then you'll want to hear this record. If you <laughs> check no, move along. There's nothing, you know what I mean? Like, pretty easy to, to say, like, this is the flavor. Do you like the flavor? And they, You know, that's, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, the records that, you know, this, some of the records, that, again, you visited, Swerve Driver, you know, like, kind of the flavor you either like it or you don't there's not a whole lot of variation throughout this record you know it's not going to be the next you know sometimes you hear that there's a band that has a single and you're like yes yeah, oh that single's awesome and, they're, and people are like yeah the rest of the record sounds nothing like that
1: now yeah we, we've had a couple of those albums or
0: pack it off and if you like that keep going and if you are interested in awesome production listen to this record you know if you're interested in thunderous drums and amazing floor toms humongous basses yeah you know this is a really good record for if you're like struggling for some attitude in the studio, you know, this would be a record. Like what are they doing? Let's do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good call. And good news is that it's available on Spotify. So it's it's sort of free to listen to.
2: There you go. There you go. Sign up to to Spotify and you can listen to this. You can also go to our website and uh, find the link where you can uh, buy it through Amazon. The MP3s are available for purchase i'm sure you can find some cds out there uh used for pretty cheap um
1: you said this was on american
2: yep american recordings
1: huh i'm not familiar with what they actually put out other than like the black crows and those johnny cash albums
2: i'm sure we'll end up reviewing more of their bands because they're a record label that doesn't exist anymore yeah we seem to find those uh, we need to thank Sean Michael Foster for bringing this to our attention. This was a good one. Uh, I think all around, we um, we have found a place for Bark Market in our rotations. Not our Sunday morning coffee house rotation, but definitely our um, workout and road rage rotation.
1: <laughs> it's on my road mate road rage playlist.
2: Play I gotta make my road rage <laughs> iTunes list. Yes.
1: When I, when I get stuck in uh, traffic, I tell my the sync system on my Ford, please play Road Rage Mix. <laughs> then this comes up.
2: All right. We guys thank Neil for joining us on this episode. Thanks for coming on and discussing Bark Market with us, Neil.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed.
2: I recorded that. That will be in the podcast.